friends, and welcome back to the luxury of self-care. Whether you're on the go or lounging with a glass of wine, this is the perfect podcast to dive into. From relatable topics to all people and things who inspire and empower me on a daily basis, I'm Anastasia, your host. And today's episode is entitled, Don't Put Baby in a Box. I feel like some of these podcasts have been so serious. And for those of you who don't know me, I am a very serious person and love to have very serious conversations. But I'm also a very fun person and I'm very outgoing and I'm very, I hate to admit it, but I am very loud and like always on stage in some realm. And I love a good cocktail. I was a bartender. I did cocktail menus for a couple different bars I worked for. I also was a sales rep for liquor, which I mentioned in my episode about failure. So my girlfriend that's coming on today had suggested, wait, should we have a cocktail? Was what she said to me. And I said, what better time than to have a cocktail on my podcast? So today's guest I met when I was a teenager. To me then and still to this day, she is literally one of the most beautiful people I've ever seen up close. And I'm not just saying that because she's my friend. Her beauty is deeply rooted within the core of who she is. As we've popped in and out of one another's lives, as time often does, we recently became close all over again. She is working on an exciting new project, and I can't wait to dive into chatting with her today. Tiana, welcome. <laughs> Hi. Hello, darling. Hi. <laughs> so Tiana and I met when we were teenagers, as I was saying. It's been so many years. I It was a half a lifetime ago for our current age. Yes. We met through one of our best friends um, when we were about 16. So yeah, half our lifetime ago. (laughs) Yeah, I was saying this earlier, but I said my guest today had asked me via text, like, should we have a cocktail during this? And I thought, I haven't had a cocktail on my podcast, but like what better time than to have one? So what are you drinking? What have you concocted? (laughs) Um, I didn't concoct this, but this is just some sparkling wine. Yum. Yeah. What are you drinking? So I absolutely love Empress Gin and I've done a couple promos for them. I've done a bunch of promos for St. Germain. So I took those two and I just made a homemade mint syrup as well, a mint simple syrup. So I added some lime juice and put it all in my shaker and served it up. So it's a beautiful purple color. But Ooh. yeah, I wish I could make you looks one. pretty. <laughs> Yeah. Well, <laughs> Mail it to me. Right? Also, when I say she's beautiful on the outside, this is the only one of my friends that I know that has her nails done during quarantine. Like her nails are pristine <laughs> right now. Like hand model pristine. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, I'm gonna I'm gonna cheers you via FaceTime here on, on our end. But we both kind of have nice glasses. Ooh. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> I'm excited because Tiana is one of my first guests that A, has known me since I've slowly found myself as an adult. And also, you're my first guest that's not in performance. Like, you're not in theater. So I think that that makes it a little bit more scary for you to put the <laughs> headphones and the mic on, right? Yeah, I mean, a little bit, I guess. I'm like a little nervous. Yeah. But- <laughs> Yeah, going live can be scary. That yeah, can be scary. That's when scary. I went live, I was like, 
I had never gone Facebook Live before. Really? And I did it for a performance for a bunch of kids. And I was like, why am I so nervous? This is so scary. I didn't want the technical things to go wrong. I wanted everyone to hear me and all that. Oh. But Tiana, give us a little backstory of what you went to college for, what your day-to-day is like, your full-time job, what line of work are you in? Yeah, so I went to Millersville University. My major was speech communication, and my concentration was in public relations. I don't do any of that now. I'm a web designer, and I work for a digital marketing company. So we design websites, and we have online digital products for small to medium businesses in the United States. Now, moving your office to your home office and quite literally during quarantine. <laughs> literally moved two monitors, um, a tower, my office phone. It was a move. <laughs> yeah. My company was I personally think rather slow with reacting to what was going on. We kind of did a, I guess, shift into moving to working from home. Yeah. Yeah, because we do have a lot of employees. No one really yeah, knew. Yeah, no one knew. And we do have a lot of employees. I think we have around two to 300 employees. So that's a lot of people to get settled in and making sure that everything's working for them. And we had to download this program to make sure that we can work from home because a lot of our programs are in-house. But yeah, I had to gather all my desk stuff and take it with me um, home. So I'm set up now, but it was a transition. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of people can relate to that though. A lot of people can totally relate to that. I miss the office sometimes just getting away, but I do love working from home because I, my home's very cozy. Um, and I kind of not to get to do what I want to do, but kind of get to have my own schedule of how and when I can get up and make a meal or I don't have to be at my desk like all day. That literal constriction of being tied down to your desk the like that phrase yeah I've kind of been a person that's always worked on projects from home but having me and my partner home together 24 hours a day has had its challenges we've had ups and downs during quarantine I know you're living with your partner as well what has that process been like for you yeah I mean we've been living together for two years now um so we already knew each other's routines and that was fine. But when I moved to work from home, he was very respectful of my space and knowing that I was working. And um, if he wanted to do something in that area that I was working, that he wouldn't disturb me or he would put something on low volume or go to a different room. So that's been fine. Sometimes I have to remind him that I'm working like I'm not just doing something yeah. fun here like it's actually like I'm yeah working. because he's um not working right now so I think he is having a hard time some days finding things to do to keep him busy as we all yeah. are you know fair enough too. yeah so yeah. sometimes he'll come over and just talk to me about something random and I'm like in this website or I'm answering emails and I'm like can't focus on what he's saying and trying to focus on my work. That makes it totally interesting too, because for me, I'm hearing this from you as a friend who I love and respect, but I've been your partner to my partner. You know, (laughs) he's learning um, real estate. 
online right now or or if he's listening to a podcast or something like that. Like I just see the headphones in and because you love your person and you just expect them to drop everything for you at all times, they, they can't, mm-hmm. you know? So on their end, they're like, oh, I just want to share this funny little thing I'm reading or this 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 lamb at the zoo <laughs> or whatever on Instagram, you know? And, and it's not necessarily a bad thing and not shame on them. But at the same point, we have to be respectful to the fact that you are working sometimes and, and, and you're, you're caught up in something. Yeah. And him not working right now hasn't taken a toll on our finances, but it has struck him in a way of being a little bit more emotional and not in a bad way, just because he's an extrovert and he loves his job. That's what he wishes he was doing right now. For me, yes, I'm working full time and I'm trying my best to support him emotionally through what he's going through by not working. That's kind of our dynamic. Yeah. And and everyone's going through something different. I'm working on projects and I'm trying to further my education in certain things. And Doug's working on projects and he's furthering his education and things. But we're both unemployed and we're both on unemployment. We don't know when that's going to run out. We we have a lot of things lined up for the future, but that's also scary as well. Yeah. Talking about the difference between what you went to school for and what you're doing now for work. What made you get into the line of work? How long have you been with your company? So I've been with my company for seven years. It's like the longest I've ever been with a company. The recruiter for the company um, found my resume online and gave me a call. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting how jobs do that too. I had learned this when I was with my liquor company that I was a sales rep for. And my, not my direct supervisor, but the supervisor above him. It was funny because his daughter's a dancer. And he said to me, he was like, oh my God, I immediately looked you up and I thought, this is perfect. Like just her as a person is perfect. But being found, what was that like for you? What were you like in response? Uh, At first I was very surprised. I mean, it's not surprised because I suppose I put my resume online, but surprised because I thought he was joking. Like I thought it was a scam. Yeah, right. (laughs) I mean, that's common. I would think the same. Yeah. And he was like, no, we used to be Yellow Book. And you remember Yellow Book, the Yellow Pages. And I was like, oh, okay. So it's an actual company. So I had an interview. They hired me literally the next day. Yeah. So it definitely was like a good fit, clearly. Yeah. Speaking on behalf of Tiana being a beautiful person. (laughs) It's so funny, too. I think three out of four of our close friends, our close-knit friends from when we were kids, had all gone through some type of, like, modeling streak, whether it was some type of big thing we were doing or stock photography or or whatnot. (laughs) But but Tiana loves fashion. You love fashion. Yes, I do. I had started getting into the Zoom calls and all that and everything. So you say you like working from home, but I want everyone to know that like Tiana doesn't wear sweats. Like (laughs) Tiana does not dress down. I live in yoga pants all the time, uh, whether I'm working out or not working out. It's just, it's a comfort for me. It's something I always grab. I, maybe it's because of just like going to dance auditions or a dress, like a sundress was always the easiest thing for me to grab that I could throw in a bag that wasn't too heavy as I changed clothes throughout the day. But Tiana gets on this Zoom call with me and our other girlfriends from our hometown. And I'm like, (laughs) girl is on point, like has the cutest outfit on every time I talk to her on Zoom or FaceTime. 
So how did that how, how did that come about? You just never liked sweatclothes, or what? Oh, I, I never even have asked so you this. Funny, you're actually not the only person that's ever said that. So that's funny. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Like I think the last time I owned a pair of sweats was in college, and that was like ten years ago. That was a thing too, right? With like the Victoria's yeah. Secret pink and like yeah. All that. yeah. I don't know. I think that I'm comfortable in being dressed. That's just who I am. I've always loved just dressing how I feel. And that means I'm putting on a pair of trousers with my blouse or something like that every day. And I don't, yeah, I don't know why that is. I just, that's how I feel. So that's what I want to wear. And that's one lesson I think that I've learned in quarantine is not investing in loungewear because I'm not really going anywhere now. Yeah, to, to, to live in the clothes that make you feel comfortable. I used to say that too. And and to, to this day, even now, you know, I mentioned this in my, my beauty counter video. Every once in a while, just to feel like myself again, I need to put on some mascara. It's it's what I call a beach look. It's it's a little light or I need to throw some stuff in my hair to make me feel a little bit more like myself. Because just because we're in quarantine and we're in those close quarters doesn't mean we should act any differently than we would on the normal. So if yeah. you're not someone who wears sweatpants, great. Like, don't invest in them. Why not? I know. Yeah, I mean, definitely I feel like we should be dressing for how we feel. Um, and if you have to dress, even if you wear sweatpants and you feel like you have to get dressed up just that one day just to feel good for yourself and not other people, that's also cool too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I used to say like, I, I shave. <laughs> I said, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm saying this. I used to say, I shave my legs. For me, I told every guy I ever dated that. I was like, don't you think I'm doing this for you, honey? Like, <laughs> I shave my legs for me or I shave my armpits for me. But definitely Doug has commented a few times that like, hey, did you put on your deodorant this morning yet? <laughs> During quarantine. And, and, I, and it's sad. Like, I think I've just been a little bit more, we've been a little bit more relaxed. And that's just... Uh, it it happens. I, I, I've actually converted to taking showers at night because I work out more in the afternoon. Yeah. So have I. But it calms me down and then I get to like make a cocktail or have a glass of wine and start cooking dinner. Yes. I love that. Yeah. So to turn the focus back to you, <laughs> to turn the focus back to you, who's your favorite designer? Uh, I was actually just thinking about this and it's so hard for me yeah. because I love so many different styles and so many different kinds of work by different designers. So it's really hard for me to just choose one favorite. Um, I do like a lot of designers from France. What do you like about their style? They're very chic and classic. Yeah. The tailoring is really beautiful. And so that's what I like. I also love vintage style, like old Hollywood movies Speaking of old Hollywood movies, <laughs> have you watched Hollywood yet on Netflix? Yes, I have actually. That was so good. That was so good. They had some really good actors. I think the, the saddest part for me on the on the other end was like, wow, this is a story about all these famous actors that we know. But wouldn't it have been grand if that's the way it all went mm -hmm. down? I know. When you think about you know? it, yeah. I was floored by the beauty of the project, but... If only it could have gone that way. And I love that old Hollywood style. That probably isn't a test to why you don't 
wear sweatpants. I know because they didn't wear sweatpants. So mm. <laughs> they did not. No, they didn't. So I know you have this, this specific story of when you were modeling that you'd like to share with us. Will you dive into that? <laughs> Um, my modeling career was very short lived <laughs> and very sparse. <laughs> so, yeah, I wouldn't consider myself a professional model. But um, my first modeling job was when I was 14 years old. Um, and my mom's coworker at the time, her son was a photographer and he was doing a piece on this Hawaiian S, I would you say, like, family in America and like that story. And it was for this small magazine that was like the size of a TV guide. Love. <laughs> Do you remember TV and guides? Do people yeah, remember TV so, guides? Yeah. And I remember going there and I was so nervous. I didn't know what I was doing. Obviously I had to wear his girlfriend's like floral two piece, like halter top and skirt for the oh, shoot. Cute. It was like, Hawaiian flowers, but I still have that photo to this day. So the photo that he took, um, he turned into a painting and then that artwork was in that magazine. Do you still have that? Yeah, I still have it. I don't know if I have the magazine, but I still have the photo. Where do you keep that? Do you keep that frame somewhere or is it like tucked away somewhere for you to like always look back on? I used to have it framed. But it's now tucked away just in my memory box. <laughs> Love a good memory box. Seriously. <laughs> but yeah, like I didn't really do anything after that. I wasn't sure right. about modeling. It wasn't something I've always wanted to do. Um, and I was extremely shy. So it stopped. And then I kind of got back into it when I was around 20 until I was 23. But that also was just very short lived commercial work, acting classes, modeling classes, just doing local runway shows at malls. Yeah, it wasn't like designers. It wasn't fashion, you know, like it wasn't. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't couture. It was like, you know, limited to that's what it was. Right. And your fashion specifically that you like. How did you get into that? I don't know if everybody else goes through this. I went through a lot of phases, like a lot of <laughs> phases. So I outgrew my high school Abercrombie and Fitch phase. (laughs) And I was going more towards like country farm phase with boots and like a white sundress and Taylor Swifty kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Like that was the look then. And I would wear heels or boots. Everything would match that was what I was into. And then as I got into my mid twenties, it changed to more grungier, more rocker, like more black in my wardrobe, more banties, because I kept going back to my high school days when I used to listen to a lot of pop punk and emo (laughs) music. So that's when I started my wardrobe changed to fit that and I was yeah I was like leather jackets I was more bohemian now that I'm in my 30s it has definitely changed I feel like I know who I am now 
as a woman and going through all those phases kind of transformed me into who I am today with my style like it's definitely more neutral more minimal um, classic chic now I invest in pieces that I can wear forever versus going through so many different phases in my 20s and getting rid of clothes or buying things I'm not going to wear now I make sure I'm investing in pieces um, so they can last longer in my wardrobe. Yeah. And, and that's, I think that's great. You know, I look at some of the stuff that has lasted long in my wardrobe and it's because they're classic looks, like you said, like they're blacks, they're neutrals, they're whites. Mm -hmm. I worked at White House Black Market for that same reason. I I thought these clothes are timeless is the word that I used to use. Mm -hmm. It's a timeless they're timeless clothes. And the beauty of you finding that leads us to your new project that you've been working on. Yes. It's an online vintage shop brand that is called Ashley and Michael. So I love fashion ever since I probably could dress myself. <laughs> when I was around like 11, 12, I would always sketch just outfits all day. Um, I subscribed to Teen Vogue yeah. um, when I was in high school, all the way up until I graduated college. I would watch Clueless Love. like a million times. I wanted to be a fashion designer, but then I realized I wasn't good at drawing. Well, at least I didn't think that I was. So I kept telling myself that I couldn't be a fashion designer because of that. But now that I'm older and I know more designers and there are designers that have felt that way feeling like they don't sketch well or they don't know how to sew. And I'm relate to that. So who knows? Maybe one day I can accomplish my childhood dreams and become a famous designer. Yeah, I would love to see that. As your friend, too, you know, I'd love to see that. But I also to commend to what you choose, the pieces you choose and getting into the website and, and how that has developed from your own personal stuff. Yeah. That started just a blog at first, about three and a half years ago. There weren't a lot of style or fashion blogs where people were buying vintage clothes or consignment. And that was right around the time that I stopped shopping at fast fashion stores, like Forever 21 and H&M. And people would constantly ask me where I got my clothes. And that was the reason why I started blogging. Um, about like what I was wearing, the vintage clothing that I was finding, thrifting, all of that. Um, And then as I got older and the blogging started fading away, I had a lot of clothes that was just laying around and I didn't wear anymore or that I couldn't see in my wardrobe for a lifetime or like a long time. Like I was saying before, I like to invest in pieces that could last in my wardrobe for a long time. So for that time, I didn't really see anything that I wanted to keep around I was growing and changing um, in a good way. And so my style was changing and I felt more comfortable in my skin. And I wasn't who I was when I was 26, 27, now that I'm almost 32. That's when the idea came to me that I could just sell the clothes instead of just giving it away because I felt like I had invested in a lot of, a lot of those clothes. And I love those pieces that I, I bought. And I wanted them to go to somebody who would also love those pieces. And appreciate them. Yes, and appreciate them. 
And so it took me a while to get things up and running. I didn't really know where to start. I was thinking about Etsy. I was thinking about Poshmark. But then I was like, I want to go further than that. And those platforms are really great for shops that are getting started. I know a ton of businesses that are thriving off Etsy. But for me, I kind of wanted to go towards a direction of a brand. It seemed like it was such a high achievement because I've never built a brand before. I created a brand. Right. But right. Like, who has? Who right. has built a brand before <laughs> they like, actually created one? Overnight, I'm like, yeah. oh, what do I do? I know. So then I thought and I was like, well, what goes into creating a brand? Um, what do I want this brand to say? What is the message I want to convey? And so then that's when Ashley and Michael was born. I wanted the name of the brand to be sophisticated, classic, and unisex. So Ashley is my middle name. Yes. And Michael is my boyfriend's middle name. And then I brought that idea to my boyfriend, Sean, and he loved it and he was so supportive. He had, was already taking pictures of me for Instagram, like, you know, one of those Instagram boyfriends. <laughs> so Don't have one of those. Love my man, but don't have one of so, those. So um, I asked if he wouldn't mind taking pictures for Ashley and Michael. And he said, absolutely. And then I built the website, which took me a month to do because I wanted it to be perfect. Especially someone who works in that field of like exactly. website building and everything, you know, and being a perfectionist on top of that, which I am yeah. as well. I can totally relate. So then I started buying things or and sifting through things that I wanted to sell. And I went out to warehouses and other vintage shops, picking out pieces that I loved, what I knew that other people would. So I do all the buying and listing. I edit all the images he takes of me. I run the social media accounts. I ship everything out. And Sean and I have similar taste in music and design, aesthetic, and how we see the world. So a lot of the inspiration for Ashley and Michael came from music, like classic rock, 50s and 60s crooners like Frank Sinatra, jazz, and so I wanted to showcase the beauty and history of vintage as well, not just, oh, here's another vintage shop selling a million just random vintage pieces. I want it to tell a story and I want that story to live on. Yeah. And looking at your grid, that makes so much more sense now that I'm hearing this. Because her grid truly tells a story and your website does too. Like the grid for Ashley and Michael tells a story, but the website itself, it almost, when you get on it, it almost doesn't even seem like you're there to buy anything. Thank you. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. I, I mean, I really took it back and just felt like it was so much of story and it clicks now that I hear you saying that. Yes. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> So these are all pieces that you have owned previously. Well, some of them are, um, and some of them I just bought through wholesale from a warehouse out in Northeast Philadelphia. It's amazing. It's huge. They have so much vintage. So I usually go there. And then there is a really cute vintage shop in South Philly called Retrospect that I love. So I'll go there. And most of the times I'm shopping there for me. Sure. <laughs> But yeah, I'll find pieces that I know, like I'll probably just leave that for the shop. Though I enjoy a great deal. I love a good percentage off tag, but it is sometimes hard to sift through something. And then you finally come across a piece you would like, 
but it's not in your size. How do you go through a process of going to a vintage shop? You know, what's that shopping experience like in comparison to going to a department store where they have size two through X, whatever? How would you walk someone through who's never been to a vintage shop to to be open minded and, and how it can work? I know that was actually one of the things that I learned quickly when I first started vintage shopping was looking for my size. If you have a good vintage shop, it's really good to organize by color and by style, sometimes era as well. And when you're sifting through, say you like a certain section or you, you're looking for something in particular, um, like a dress or a pair of trousers, you can go to that section, look through. And most of the time, the piece will have the size on it. Sometimes they won't even have tags. If I like something, I'll just pull it off the rack. I will have a bunch of things and go to the dressing room, try it on. And most of the time it actually fits me. If it's too big, I try to think of ways that I can fix that. So that's one of the tips I can give if you are vintage shopping and something's too big. If you do know how to sew, you can alter something or to fit you. Tailor it, yeah. Or or tailor it. Yeah, tailor it to fit you or take it to a tailor. Asking yourself that question, is it something that would be a cheap tailoring? And it's like a cheap tailoring would be something like it fits you all around, but the waistline is too large. Exactly. And sometimes you love a piece like you see something you're like, oh, my gosh, I have to have this. That's what I've done. And like I buy it and then I take it to a tailor to fit me. And that works sometimes or I just do it myself. Or I buy and just put it on the shop. I feel like if you do see something you really, 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 really love, you should buy it because it probably won't be there the next time you go. Mm. Tips. (laughs) No, I love that. And I learned that the hard way. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, that happened to me a few times. It's always hard as a shopper to see something you love and then save up for that thing and then go back and find it to not be there. It's gone, yeah. Because for these vintage shops or these vintage stores that are online, they only have one of those items. Like they don't have, like you said, they're not going to have a whole stock full of the one item with multiple sizes. It's going to be just that one. Right. I I absolutely love that you're doing this because you're right. uh, Plenty of people, including your friends, ask you all the time, you know, where did you get your items? You know, we were in, in such support of you with starting this business. So you uploaded the website What was that like for you when you made your first purchase? Like the first person bought it. What was the process of that? And like wrapping up something for the first time and sending it off and being like, this is going to work. Like I'm, (laughs) I'm doing it. Oh my goodness. So like I said, it was a process getting everything started. And that idea came to me a year ago. So it's been a year. This whole thing has been in process. But when I got my first sale, I (laughs) was just over the moon like I ran over to Sean and I was like oh my god somebody bought something (laughs) and (laughs) and he was like oh that's so great babe thanks for the support Um, (laughs) this is at like 10 o'clock at night and I'm like I have to get this ready and so I'm like packaging it up and I always write a hand note to go with it and he's like what are you doing right now I'm like I'm just getting it ready and ship it out send it off send it to its new home I love that I love the handwritten note situation and I think 
that is the beauty of some of these small businesses and and not to harp on corporations because I love them for completely different reasons, but they would have to literally hire someone to write that I many know. handwritten notes. So they would have to like hire a, call- a calligrapher. But I think the beauty in buying something from a person who found this piece specifically for either themselves or for their website is you. You know, you're mm-hmm. doing that. And then on top of it, you take the time to say, you know, thank you so much for buying this piece, giving some information about it, you know, hopefully, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you're saying like comment, share, like whatever for, you know, cause you have I to actually do don't say that. You don't. She doesn't even do that. People. <laughs> she doesn't even do the plugs. I don't even plug. I know. Right. I'm, I guess I'm really pretty bad at plugging people, but, um, no, I don't do that. I appreciate you and I thank you so much for your support and for buying this piece. I hope you love, you know, and I'd say whatever they bought. Um, and I, I do a little tip if they like how to wear it. I love that. A tip how to wear her. Yeah, tip on like how you can wear it and then send my best and hope they're well. And yeah, with love. With love from T. <laughs> with love. And I make sure the packaging is eco-friendly and they can recycle because I'm all about the environment and I'm making sure that my brand is sustainable and ethical um, because that's the way I live my life. So I want to push those practices on to Ashley and Michael. That's very important to me. And being an advocate of the environment and the well-being of our planet within recent events like quarantine wasn't hard enough we're we're dealing with a lot of events right now which in some cases are a political agenda and in some cases are just what i believe is is right and fair and freedom and justice for all so i do want to share with our listeners your heritage what is your background so i am vietnamese Black, Native American, and white. My mom is from Vietnam. She came over in 1975, um, right when the war was ending. And then my dad is Black, Native, and white. He was born in America. I consider myself mixed race. Yeah. And Tiana's mom, just to (laughs) give her a little toot here, Tiana's mom was such a hard worker. I think it just says a lot about you. I didn't grow up with my father in my life, unfortunately, but my mother definitely worked so hard to provide and give me and my sister a stable home. I never once felt that I didn't have enough because she made it her mission to make sure that we didn't feel like we didn't have enough. And so I'm really grateful for that. And that really pushed me to be that way whenever I'm a mother, making sure my children don't feel like they don't have enough in this world to survive. Yeah, she's amazing. I've learned so much from her um, and everything that she's gone through. It's so incredible the way she responds bonds to that she doesn't let that affect her at all um she doesn't blame anyone yeah she is so positive and so loving and so supportive yeah that says a lot like (laughs) here we are in our early 30s and my mom had had me at 30 and I'm the oldest in my family 
And your mom had had you fairly young. Very young at 21. And it's different here for us to sit and take in all this knowledge that we're learning from our adolescence to our 30s to discovering with partners. But we still haven't hit that motherhood point yet. So we can't really speak upon that yet. But being able to say, when my kids are born, I want to give them everything I possibly can is a huge testament to the fact that your mom gave you that much. She worked her tail off to make sure that you got the things that you wanted given the situation. Yeah, definitely. And that speaks so hugely to her character. And being of of mixed race on top of that, I know that I know your personal journey as far as schooling and everything like that. But for our listeners, what, what was schooling like for you? You had an array of different schools you went to. Yeah, I did. I went to a handful of different schools. I went to a public elementary school and then I went to a Catholic school and then I told my mom to get me out of Catholic school <laughs> and put me back into public school. So I went back into public school and then finished high school in public school as well. But the experiences that I had for each school was a little bit different. There weren't a lot of people that looked like me. A lot of the time I felt alone in that sense, even though I did have friends. Sometimes I felt like they couldn't relate to how I was feeling um, and that I always had to relate to them. It seems so minor. Yeah. But also so major. You know, it's something that Mm -hmm. resonates with you. And I've spoken about this quite a bit with with my friends of color because of the recent events. I've been trying to reach out and just have conversations with them. And it has been different, you know, not to say that any kid has got it figured out and says all the right things uh, when they're children. But that that comes from somewhere and that stems from somewhere. And it's our it's our upbringing or it's what we're surrounded by ourselves. You know, when we're surrounded by a bunch of kids in class that look exactly like us and then one person doesn't, we feel different too on our end. But that doesn't mean that like exactly what you just said, you know, all the things that I feel like I'm relating to you, like I always had to relate to you, but not once did you ask about me. Yeah. So, yeah, that was something that I was constantly thinking about growing up. I never really experienced racism when I was a child. It only started when I was in high school and college and then out of college. But it wasn't the kind of racism that you would think of, like calling someone a racial slur or refusing to serve someone because of the color of their skin. It was more of of like a subtle blind racism where people don't even realize what they're saying or what they're doing they think that they're being nice or they're being complimentary so yeah like I don't know how many times someone asked me where I was from and then I would tell them where I was from Pennsylvania um, America and they would say no where are you really from and I suppose they meant my heritage or where my ethnicity and I say no I was born in America And then they'll ask me, where are my parents from? And then I have to go through a whole spiel of where my parents are from. And they mostly respond with, oh, I hope you're not offended. I was just curious. Um, You just look so exotic. 
I suppose it's natural for people to be curious, but what I don't understand is when someone's looking at me and immediately the first thing you ask is what I am or where I'm from, it seems like you care more about that than who I am as a human being. It's putting me in a box, a box that you want to create because you can't figure out what I am or where I'm from. And that's fine. I don't expect people to look at me and know, but I don't want to be put in a box. I feel like a lot of people can't do that. I feel like they have to know. They have to be like, you're this, 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 and this. Or, oh, well, you look like this, this, and this. And I'm pretty sure most of those people asking me this haven't asked white people that. They're not asking white people, where are you from? Where are your parents from? So that question always gets to me. Yes, that's what I am. That's where I'm from. But it doesn't define who I am. And I think that a lot of people want it to. So they can pass whatever the judgment or have whatever stereotype in their head of who they think that I am. And I've had many people tell me, you know, you don't get discriminated against because you're pretty. I'm like, wow. So you're treating me decent because you think that I'm pretty. That shouldn't be the reason why someone's treated with decency. I think, I honestly think that they think they're saying something nice. Is there a better way to ask that? Because like you said, you do feel like people are trying to maybe pay you a compliment and then other people seem to maybe be putting you in a box. If you were to step into their shoes, do you feel like you understand why they're asking what they're asking? Or do you think that there's any proper way to ask that or or never to? Because personally, I just always talk to you as my girlfriend, as someone I knew. And I'm also learning there's there's a naive part of myself that doesn't ask that as well. And our heritage should be celebrated. So is there a proper way to ever ask that in a way that doesn't offend? Um, I don't know, because everybody is different. It's not the fact that people are asking where you're from. It's how they're asking it. And it's like the first thing they ask. True. And that wasn't the first thing that I asked you. Right. Like we're calling our friendship. I think it came up later in life. Yeah. I think that's like the beauty of our friendship and us growing up as teenagers because we weren't worrying about that. We weren't like judging each other, trying to figure out like our past and like everything, our heritage and where our family's from. We were teenagers just loving our life and... That was it. Yeah. It was like we were friends and it didn't matter where they were from or like where you were from. And we were just talking about this the other day too. You know, I think especially as a teenager, when you're younger, you're so looking for the escape of whatever the aesthetic is of your home. And you just want to have a good time and escape with your friends. Like we had t- we talked about some stuff even the other night that we have never talked about. Yeah. I'm glad that our nation is now under this unique microscope where we can talk about certain things like, have you experienced racism? And asking one of your closest friends that. Have you experienced a moment where you were upset that you didn't feel like you looked like people around you? And that's hard. 
I could only imagine how I would feel slightly uncomfortable. Yeah. And for racism, there's a spectrum. It's so deep rooted. What I've experienced growing up is not what other people have experienced. Right. I have people telling me so many other things, not just asking me where I'm from or or what I am. People telling me that, you know, you talk white or you act white. And I'm thinking, I don't know how you can talk and act like a race. I'm just myself. That kind of racism, like I tried not to let that affect me. And I always thought there are so many other people who have it worse than I do because being mixed race and not growing up in the black community, I didn't have the same experiences. I don't fear for my life every day. I don't worry that a police officer is going to assault me or verbally abuse me if I get pulled over. I don't know how that feels. Being mixed race is my privilege. And my story, my experience, I feel like is totally different from what most people in Black America feels like. Yeah, racism is, is deeply rooted. At the end of the day, everyone's experience is different. And I think on our end of being compassionate and being open to listening and understanding and sharing, being an actor myself, for me, if anyone were to ever make slurs against someone's sexuality, because I have many gay friends, I would call them out. So it's a similar situation when we're dealing with race, that if someone's saying something wrong and you recognize it, say something. Yeah, definitely. I think that I struggled with that growing up. And even my friends, like I feel like they also struggled growing up because a lot of people don't know how to handle racism, um, especially people who aren't black. It's true. Yeah, I just feel like some people think that it doesn't exist anymore. Yes, we have made progress in our country, but we still have a long way to go. When I was graduating from college, I went out to a bar and I was at the bar getting a drink by myself. And beside me was this white guy. I didn't know him. And he told me that he liked my hair. And at that time, it was so long. It was like down to my waist. I've always had long hair my whole life. And I told him, thank you. And I thought that was the end of the conversation, that he was just complimenting my hair. But then he proceeds to ask if it's real. And I say, yes, it is. And he says, no, it's not. And I say, yes, uh, it is. <laughs> and we are arguing back and forth at this bar, with loud music, people around us. I don't know this guy. He is telling me that I'm lying about my hair being real. At that point, I'm like, you know what? I can't argue with a person who is so small minded. This is, say, is so small minded yeah. and not realizing what he's saying and it's not to say to ask questions but for me personally I don't want to always say what I am or where my parents are from I just want to have a conversation where that's not the center focus and if someone wants to compliment you on the sense that you're beautiful because you are then maybe it can just be merely that yeah it's those stereotypes that people have 
it's in us, like seeing someone and then making your own assumption just by seeing them. And then when you speak to them, making another assumption, and then you're asking them where they're from or what they are, and then they tell you, and then you're making another assumption. So you keep putting them in all these boxes without even really knowing them. Yeah. That's what I have a problem with. Something that I feel like has affected me, but I try not to let it affect me. I'm very much a person that learns as I, you know, have my experiences with people. I learn about a lot about myself and I learn a lot about who I want to be around and who I want in my life. And so now that I'm in my 30s, I can finally speak up and say how I feel about topics like this or things like this Mm. um, that have been bothering me for years that in my head, I'm thinking, oh, it's fine. It's fine. Because I kept telling myself that it was fine, even though I felt like it wasn't fine. Yeah, It's not fine to just tell someone that they look exotic or that they're pretty. Like, what does that even mean? I don't feel like it's something that is a compliment because I'm not an animal. I'm not an exotic animal. And I know a lot of people, especially mixed race people or biracial people, they feel that same way too. When someone's like, you look so exotic. Like, that's not a compliment to us. I don't know. I don't even know where that came from, honestly. And I think a lot of people think it's a compliment, but it's it's not. I I think it's like, okay, yeah, we are from you know mixed right cultures or mixed heritage but that's it like it doesn't make us different or exotic it just makes us us yeah yeah and so as I'm getting older I'm learning that I need to speak up more and I have been speaking up more and I think that that's a huge testament to make And you're only sharing this with me because we've developed a friendship for so long. And I commend you for being open to talking about it for other people to hear. Because I know it has been hard for some people to have these conversations with friends of a different race. Yeah. I I know that's been difficult for some people. I think it has. But I I think that it's something good. I think that we should be having these conversations, even if it's uncomfortable, even if. Well, you've been uncomfortable your whole life. So, yeah, I mean, I'm trying. And that's the thing that I'm learning now that I'm in my 30s of not being so uncomfortable and not fearing of what people are going to say if I stick up for myself or if I stand up for what's right. I'm not going to be silent anymore. And I'm not a confrontational person, but. I have to speak up for myself. I have to speak up for other people because enough is enough. Yeah. No one wants to be put in a box. Like I said, I don't want to be put in a box where we're from, the color of our skin. That does not define us. Mm -hmm. We can only define ourselves, right? Who we are inside. That's what truly matters. Yeah. And that's like such a beautiful note to end on too. We all have different journeys. We all have different paths. Just because of the color of your skin, as you said, does not define who your character is. And I was personally always taught to judge someone on their character first. And as a woman, sure. Do I have fears living in a city here and there? Do I 
get a little nervous walking down a street when I'm the only woman on the street. Yes. And sadly, there are bad people in the world and we always need to be a little bit cautious. But at the same point, when it comes to -to day-to-day conversation, let's just be a little bit more considerate and open to understanding that the outside does not reflect the inside. Yeah, absolutely. I love that, Tiana. Thank you. And I'm so excited for your business and your project. Not on a layer note, we had a beautiful conversation and to reel us back in, it's such an exciting project. You know, you were always that friend when we were younger that was wearing something different. And I remember I kind of was too, you know, we had our friends that lived within the bubble of what they wore and that's just how school is. But being able to express yourself through clothing (laughs) and to be able to show off your personality and have other people buy it and everything like that. Like, that's such an exciting journey. I know. Thank you. Yeah, that's definitely what fashion is all about. Expressing yourself through your personal style. Yes, I couldn't agree more. So for all of our listeners, give them the details. Where can we find you? Where's all the good stuff? Yes. So you can find me on Instagram at love Tiana Ashley. Um, that's L-O-V-E-T-I-A-N-A-A-S-H-L-E-Y. Or you can shop Ashley and Michael at ashandmichael.com. That's A-S-H-A-N-D-M-I-C-H-A-E-L.com. Or follow us on Instagram at Ashley and Michael shop. I'm so happy. And I know like it's definitely different for people who aren't in any type of performance to jump on to something like this. And it's a little bit more vulnerable. So I really am grateful that you accepted doing this with me. It really meant a lot. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. I love your podcast. Yeah, Tiana's like... my number one fan. No joke. <laughs> I, am. I am your number one fan. <laughs> Well, thank you again, T. I appreciate it. Yes, thank you so much, Stas. I hope a lot of the stuff that happened in this episode really resonated. I know that we kind of went all over the place and I started off by saying, you know, we've been having so many serious podcasts and it did turn into that. But I do think that Tiana makes some super valid points, and I think there's a lot to sit with and resonate there. Be sure to look her up. Be sure to find her. And if you were wondering, the title of today was definitely based off the famous 80s movie, Dirty Dancing. I love that movie. Tiana loves that movie. I thought, what better thing than to say, don't put baby in the corner. Don't put baby in a box. I'll see y'all next week. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode on the luxury of self-care. If you haven't done so already, subscribe to this channel on Apple Podcast and feel free to give me a rating or review. In addition, you can find me and all updates about the show on Instagram at rumor underscore in underscore St. Petersburg, just like the Universal film Anastasia, or like the Facebook page entitled The Luxury of Self-Care. Don't hesitate to reach out with any questions or topics you'd be interested in hearing about. DM me, send me a private message. Truly, this wouldn't be possible without you, my audience. So thank you so much for all your love and support and for tuning in.